Hello, and on this episode of the Mortgage and Protection Podcast, we have the return of Daniel Condren from One Mortgages to share his expertise on buy to let mortgages. Uh, Daniel, welcome back. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Tessa. Yeah, good to be back to do another episode uh, on things all buy to let. I know we've covered quite a lot on buy to let, haven't we? But this is obviously covering it off, I guess as a generic sort of topic. So um, let's get straight into these frequently Googled questions that people are asking then. So, I mean, what exactly is a buy-to-let to to begin with and and how do they work? Yeah, a a buy-to-let mortgage is um, typically, instead of uh, getting a mortgage for your own residence for you to live there, a buy-to-let mortgage would be for you to buy that property and let it out, so earn a profit from rental income. So you're basically using it as an investment to earn you money and invest in property. Property is a fantastic investment. So customers that have got money that want to diversify and think, you know what, I want to invest in property. A buy-to-let has historically been a great investment. Um, So yeah, buy-to-let would be a a customer or somebody who wants to invest in property. And it would be nice if they had enough money to buy the property outright, but most customers need a mortgage to do that. Okay, brilliantly explained there. And I think you've probably covered uh, this next little sub-question we've got here and what you've just said, but I'll just clarify it. Uh, what is the difference between a buy-to-let mortgage and a residential mortgage? Yeah, it's, it says it says it on the tin, doesn't it, I suppose? The words are, uh, yeah, buy, buying a property to let it out. So a buy-to-let, is, is, that's what it's commonly known as. Um, so purchasing a property to let it out and be invested uh, to, to rent to a rental customer or tenant. Um, and a residential mortgage is, is for you to live there yourself. Um, so they're looked at in a in a very different in a very different way. Uh, most most customers um, their first property is the one that they're going to live in, um, especially in the UK. But some customers actually want to invest and buy second properties, third properties, and and build a portfolio. Um, and that's where a good broker like One Mortgages would step in and help them look at the returns, look at the mortgage that they've got and review it. Uh, so the next question asks, how is a personal buy-to-let different to a limited company buy-to-let? Good question. That's so yeah, there are different um, uh, options for the lenders and uh, limited company buy-to-lets and borrowing in a company name has been around for a very long time. Um, but not many people know the difference between buying in a personal name and most mortgages are done in a personal name and they don't need to think about, do I need to buy in a, um, a company name and what are the differences? But the main difference is that you get different taxes when it comes to doing it in a limited company name rather than your personal name. So there are different allowances, there are different um, considerations for the customer, whether they're going to do it in a personal name or whether they want to do it in a, a limited company name. Um, and there's advantages to both options. Um, and as, as well as that, there's additional costs to consider. So the broker would would be able to help you in understanding, do I buy this investment property in my personal name or shall I buy in a limited company name? And it very much depends on the customer and their current situation. Right. Okay. So it's down to the individual, as we say a lot on these episodes, don't we? Um, okay, then. So, I mean, who can get a buy to let mortgage? Can anyone? Yeah, broadly speaking, if you've got the money uh, for the for the um, the down payment, I suppose the deposit—that's a very American down payment uh, for the deposit. <laughs> for the deposit, if you've got a big enough deposit for the to invest, um, then yes, most people can. But the normal rules do apply. So if you've got 
um, adverse credit problems, you might find it difficult. So, uh, you know, things like uh, CCJs, defaults, they certainly do um, come into it. But if you've got a big enough deposit, most people can get a buy to let. Uh, so yes, you, you can, but again, it depends on the circumstances and what your plans are around property. So if you are looking to invest in property and you want to know the best way to do that, understand that speaking to a broker is good because borrowing as borrowing in general across the UK in the last 13 years has, has not been as good as it is now. So if you were going to do it, the interest rates are, are very, very good and attractive. So if you're going to invest in properties, the lenders are doing it. We have had a bit of a a difficult time through the pandemic and COVID and everything else, but lenders are still have an appetite in the buy to let space. So speak to your brokers about how much is it going to cost? What are all the fees involved? Um, but yes, definitely um, you, anybody can get a buy to let. That's really positive news actually though, really good news. Um, and then speaking of borrowing, how much can you borrow on a buy to let mortgage and what sort of deposit do you need? Yeah, so the deposit levels are a little bit higher than than a residential mortgage. So, I mean, if you've got a 25% deposit, minimally, there were lenders that would do it in a 15% space, but the, let, the rates and the, the deals that are available are not as attractive. So if you've got a 20%, 25%, the greater the deposit, the better. Um, but 25% is always a good starting number for the deposit. How much you can borrow, it really does depend on a factor of what's the rental expectation of the property. So the broker is going to want to know and the banks are going to want to know what is the expectation of rental from when you've got that property. So whether uh, that's been done by a letting agent or the current there's a currently a tenant in there, you need to understand how much that's going to be so the broker's going to need. So it does depend on what the rental amount is per month and then they will give you an idea of how much you can borrow um, and southern properties in the uk um, the rental calculation of how much you can actually borrow in the south is not as nice as it is in the north because property prices are lower so in the north in our pocket where we are in, in yorkshire it's nice because the rental amounts the yields are good and the property prices are lower than they are down south so you can actually get still uh, a good amount of borrowing from the rental amount. So yeah, just check with your broker of how much you can borrow and if the numbers fit and whether it's worth it. Okay, there we go. And then I suppose you've touched on this as well a little bit, but is there anything else to consider when it comes to criteria for a buy-to-let mortgage? Certainly not for anybody uh, that's got up to four properties. So the regulation um, changed, I think probably two or three years ago now, two years ago, um, time flies, but the, the regulation around the industry changing around what is a professional landlord and what is a, a portfolio landlord. So lenders, uh, you know, the f four sticks in your mind. So if you've got up to four properties, under four properties, you're fine. Uh, criteria wise, the normal rules apply. But then there are lenders that once you get over four properties and you become a professional landlord, they're really wanting to look at what you've got as the whole portfolio and what's the whole property uh, and, and looking at the every single property uh, and understanding, are you too leveraged? Have you got too much borrowing for how many properties you've got there? And when we you know, go back, back in 2007 and 2008, lenders were 
you know, lending money out a hundred percent mortgages and everything else. And they didn't take any, any consideration into, well, what happens if the property prices go down or what happens if we have a crash or anything like that? So we're certainly not in those days, but um, yeah, the criteria should be fine for up to four properties. But again, the broker would understand what's the cheapest rate, what's the cheapest deal. Um, is it worthwhile doing it for you? But anything under four properties should be straightforward and it should work out well for you. But anything over four, speak to um, an expert that deals with property management and portfolio management and understands the rules around having a big portfolio. That's really interesting. So so you become a professional if you've got kind of four plus properties, is that right? Yeah, if you, I mean, across the lenders, that's what they classify it as, as, oh. as you a portfolio landlord of four properties or more. Um, and then the next number that you've got to watch out for is 10. So if you get over 10 properties, it really becomes, it becomes increasingly difficult to find lenders that are, are not just going to look at the properties in isolation. And what they're trying, what they, they look at across is the, the whole portfolio to see whether they're at risk or they're not, or they've got some properties in negative equity um, where the property prices, they've borrowed too much and the property price might have come down or something gone wrong. So they certainly don't want to be in a position where the the landlord has taken on too much and too much borrowing. So they just look at everything, which is the right thing to do. Yeah. And the customer, the investor, the they should be thinking, do you know what? I've I've got too much on here. And, and if you get an interest rate rise and things go up, then it's not going to be as a, a cost-effective investment. It's not going to be worth it because... You, you know, you, you're not, you don't have enough equity in, in the portfolio. So if you do, if you are in that situation and you just want to revise your portfolio or you've got properties to review, then of course the broker should be able to organize everything, understand what the interest rates are and help that easier for you. Right. Okay. So it's just something to bear in mind there. Uh, and then how much does a buy to let property cost? I think you touched on costs a little bit further up, but um, yeah, what, what are the costs involved? So you're going to get uh, standardly from a broker, you're going to get the broker fees, the advice fees around understanding the situation and your your circumstances. So you're going to have to pay the broker fee if there is one. Um, and the other advantage is if you're a portfolio landlord and you've got a number of properties, then the broker might actually look at and waive his fees because the commissions involved from the portfolio is a lot and it's repeat business. So if you're a portfolio landlord and you've got 10 properties, you're going to be dealing with a broker very frequently. So therefore, the fees is going to be reviewable. But in our industry, it's very important to understand the value of the broker and what he's going to do for you. His job should be to save you interest, to make it flexible, to to see what the value is that he's bringing to you. Um, If they're just going to charge you a high fee just for doing every single one, just understand is is that value for you as as a customer um but the other fees are standardly uh the the lender fees which are typically higher on a resi- uh, on a buy to let than they are on a residential deal so you're going to have um things like the survey the arrangement fee uh, any other associated costs with the lender um but yeah the, the biggest part is the deposit does the does the customer have enough of their own interest their own deposit to put down onto that property but most customers might have equity 
and they forget about that. So a good point to to mention, Tessa, that might have be sat on two or three properties and they think, do you know what? I've, I want a retirement plan or I want to have more properties. And they think, well, I don't have 50,000 just sat in savings doing nothing, but they forget about the equity that they've worked their whole life to build up in two or three properties. And it's very easy to use that equity to then buy the next property or build a portfolio. So um, just understanding the plans of a customer of what they're going to do for retirement, what are they, what are their plans? Properties that is is one thing not to forget or disregard. So, um, okay. yeah, yeah, and a really good point there. I always <laughs> go off on a bit of a tangent, though. I always go off on a bit of a an explanation, but yeah, I hope that helps. No, it's great detail um, and it's it's really helpful to know all these things. So no, great points. Um, and then uh, these are interesting. So I've got two interesting questions here. Is it illegal to rent out a house without a buy-to-let mortgage? No, I think we touched on this on another episode as well. I think we, we did. Yeah, yep. it's, not, it's, it's certainly not illegal. It's probably frowned upon um, mm. and you should, you should inform the parties involved so if you've got a mortgage on the property and you're going to let that property out make sure you've got the permissions of um from the lender that's that's done that and and typically it should be on a buy to let mortgage that's designed to lend you that money and let it out with with that ruling with that intention whereas other people have got a residential mortgage or a holiday let mortgage or something different um, that they've not considered that borrowing. So just as long as the lender is informed and you're doing everything properly, uh, legitimately, then you'll be fine. Okay, there we go. And then is it illegal to live in your buy-to-let property? Again, I think you might have covered this on a previous episode. Yeah. Um, this is more commonly known as a, a backdoor buy-to-let. And it's very, it's not, it's, it is very common in, in, in today's world and the lenders don't want you to do this. But um, and, I, and I'm certainly saying I'm not advocating this at all, that customers try and borrow the money on a buy-to-let. And because it's on an interest-only or an investment type of mortgage, they then uh, live there thinking it's interest-only. But again, you're, you're breaking the, the rules and not you, the lender has lent, lent you that money with the intention for you to let that out. So I certainly would not advocate you doing that. Um, certainly, it wouldn't be allowable now. The lender, if you did have a buy-to-let mortgage and you were letting a property out and then your circumstances meant that you had to live there, typically lenders understand that in a life-changing event like that, you give them notice and you inform them and they give you a certain amount of time to change that. But for a long-term plan, no, you certainly wouldn't do that. Um, but the people out there that do do it, and I certainly wouldn't advocate it. So if you're on a buy-to-let mortgage, try and speak to a broker about making sure the borrowing is on the right deal. And the other advantage is buy-to-let mortgages are more expensive for the interest. So you might, you know, get a savings by moving it onto a residential mortgage. Right. Okay. Um, and speaking of interest-only mortgages, I've got a, a point here that says interest-only versus repayment on a buy-to-let mortgage. It all depends on the customer's um, strategy. So right. when you speak with a broker about what they invest, it's all about what their plans of the rental income gonna, uh, is going to generate for them. So if their plan is to not live from the income or not use it as a lifestyle cost, then you might want to go on repayment because the advantage of being on a repayment mortgage 
means that it's going to come down. Whereas the interest only mortgage is not going to come down. So if you borrowed 75% of that property, you're going to receive a rental income every single month and it's going to be lovely and it's going to be nice. But, you know, you could be spending that every single month and then the mortgage is never going to come down. And that's fine because you're using it as a as a tool to earn income. So you might want to use it as a retirement income or extra. But when you're young and you're in your 30s or 40s, um, I'm 40, but that's not young. But if you're 40 and you've still got the advantage of buying into property and investing in property, you might not need the rental income. So what I always ask my customer is, what do you want to do with this rental income? Do you want to bank it? Do you want to live on it every month? Or do you actually want to reduce the interest? You know, my parents and um, it, it, history tells us that you you can't have debt and you've got to pay that down and you've got to do all that. But actually, the borrowing is the cheapest form of doing it. And if it's right for you and it is an investment and it's working for you, then the borrowing is good debt. It's very cheap. So why would you not take advantage of that and review it, review it accordingly? But yeah, if, if your strategy is to pay the debt down and have a retirement plan and you don't need the monthly income, then you might want to repay it. Um, and overpay yourself rather than it being on a repayment plan. So you can actually tell the lender, I want this to be on a capital and repayment basis. So the debt's going to come down, but I certainly, I, I don't like that structure. Uh, you can go for that. You've got an option to do that, but I've talked to, I think I've talked to you about this before where you should have it on an interest only basis and then overpay while you can, because the actual commitment for the mortgage would be a lot lower. So therefore, if you're a landlord and you have a void period or you have a, a struggle or something goes wrong, you've only got a very low monthly payment to consider. Whereas if you've committed to the lender to say, I want it on a repayment basis and the monthly payment is £500 a month, if you don't have a tenant in that property, then it's going to be very costly for you to think, well, I've got to pay for that mortgage. And I've got my own home residential mortgage to pay for as well. So yeah, the um, interest only versus repayment is always a really interesting conversation to be had and understanding the difference and advantages to you, the customer. Yeah, definitely. It certainly sounds that way. But again, you explain it really well and it's just weighing up the pros and cons, isn't it? And seeking that advice. Yeah. So we're getting through these now. So do I need a, a solicitor for a buy to let? People are asking. Yes. Yes, you definitely do. So any purchase, uh, anything to do with the, the legal you know, legal part of the process, you still need a, a conveyancer. A, a conveyancer is a specialist in, in property law. So they're going to look at everything for you and, and protect you in that way from a legal standpoint. So yes, you do need a solicitor. Look for a good one um, that's going to obviously be fast, which sometimes is not the <laughs> the easiest thing in the world to find a solicitor that's going to work in the in the in the fashion they've, they've certainly had a very difficult time through covid and time scales with all the uh, exemptions from the government etc so they've been you've had a whirlwind of time in the last two years so getting a solicitor that's going to deal with things in a timely fashion and keep you updated is really really important but yes you do need a solicitor okay i think that's key isn't it just being updated every now and again again isn't it just just so you know where you stand exactly just setting out expectations with anyone is so so important of just saying to them this is going to take two days i'll come back to you then 
just an acknowledgement or a come a comeback or what, what's going to happen. And the worst thing in the world is a customer instructs uh, somebody, a professional, whether that's a broker, a solicitor, anybody, a surveyor, something like that. And you just don't know what's happening. So a, a good solicitor, I mean, we can keep trying in that industry, can't we? We can keep pushing them to say, please, can I have an update? Please, can I have an update? What's going on? How long is it going to be? But I don't think uh, an industry like that is going to change overnight. Maybe it'll take a decade. Maybe it'll take a little bit longer to get them up to speed. We'll see, won't we? We'll certainly see. Um, and then I like this question. Uh, how many buy-to-let properties can I own? You've already mentioned that four plus your sort of clusters of professional and then 10 plus it gets a little bit complicated, but how many can you own? Hundreds. <laughs> no, you can go for as many as, well, as, many as you possibly can. Um, again, you've got to look at the 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 tax the tax implications of having all these properties understanding how big your estate will will be with property and it's a great it's a great thing once you've acquired wealth and you've got the property portfolio as well as all your other investments it's just a nice diversifying option to have savings tax free savings your pension your other things on there property does play a big part in it as an investment but yeah you can there's really no limit to how many properties you have. Um, you've just, it, again, it just comes down to your appetite on it and how much risk you want to take. And risk is very important. If you're a customer that doesn't want the headache, then look for a letting, a lettings, uh, a property management firm to take away the headache for you. But you get different types of landlords that some want to be really involved in the process and going through all the tenants and take all the, the, the compliance, the risk, and the, all the protection that you need to be a landlord, and then others just hand it off to a letting agent, which is a very good thing to do. And, and, and they're worth their weight in gold as well. If you get a good managed let that you don't have to worry about the tenant, don't have to worry about anything going wrong with the property. Uh, but yeah, as many as you can and you can afford as, you know, taking into all the other considerations. Okay, there we go. But don't be greedy, I suppose. <laughs> no, greed's not a good thing, is it? Uh, but there we go. That's that's good to know. Um, so, I mean, we've covered an awful lot, as we always do on these episodes. If we've got somebody listening or watching um, that is looking to invest, that's looking to get a buy-to-let mortgage, I mean, what would be the key takeaway from this episode? Yeah, just um, pick up the phone and, and check in with us. We can have a Zoom. We can have a, an impartial review of... You've got money to invest. Uh, we help you source and find the properties, whether they're right for you. Um, you know, we do get a lot of customers, Tessa, that, that have got the money. They've either come into a sum of money inherited or they've got property and they go, do you know what? I've looked into this and I want to do it and I'm going to do it. But And then they go and buy the house cash and they just put £200,000 straight into a property that's going to earn them a, oh, wow. a flat return. You know, and you're thinking... You know, if you'd have just had a little bit of a moment to understand, can I split this and, you know, buy four properties with the same level of money, that's going to mean four times as much of the rental income. So it's yeah. just understanding um, everything and just speaking to somebody that's experienced in that and does that day in and day out and whether you, you're well informed and you've read up on it and you understand what are the pitfalls, what are the risks involved um, and just get the trust from somebody who's doing it day in and day out. And that's got the, I always talk about the credibility, the experience and knowledge 
So they've got to have that to offer the client because otherwise you could just get it wrong. And the worst thing you do is get it wrong and lose money mm. and waste money on it. So, um, yeah, hopefully you'll get that from your broker. We certainly strive to give that that level of service. So, you know, just pick up the phone, send us a message from the website or find us on social uh, on social channels or just pick up the phone and speak to one of my team. That'd be great. Okay, there we go. Well, thank you for all those useful tips and all that advice. That's been brilliant. Um, And we'll catch you on another episode soon. Thanks, Tessa. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye-bye.